Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. So let me ask you a question. Can you think of any words that have been so used or maybe overused so much that now the meaning of the word is watered down. Okay, so here's the idea. You've heard the word so many times that maybe it doesn't carry the weight that it should. I see some head shaking. What are some of the words like that popped in your mind? Awesome, baby. Dick Vitale. Sorry. Anybody else? Words. Amazing, right? So, (laughs) I think that's a word we all wish we had never heard. (laughs) Um, Here's one. How how about this one? Fellowship. Fellowship. Now, one of the key ingredients in the life of the church is fellowship, but, but what is it? Is, is this fellowship here? Is fellowship where we like people and we drink coffee with them and, and we share stories with them and, and things like that? It may involve that. But fellowship is a lot more than that. And we're going to find that out today from God's Word. Acts chapter 2. We're going to look again at Acts chapter 2. The setting, of course, in Acts 2 is the day of Pentecost has come. 3,000 people have been saved. They've been baptized. The early church starts out. And Luke, the author of Acts, is going to tell us what church life was like in that church. It was dynamic. It was characterized by certain things. So here they are. They, these new believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So as we continue our journey through the book of Acts... We're in a four-week mini-series through these verses that give us four characteristics of dynamic church life. Last week, we said dynamic church life is devoted to sound doctrine. Today, we learn that it is devoted to fellowship. A dynamic church is a church that is devoted to fellowship. Now, in today's sermon, 
we're going to hone in just on just on that little piece of the verse. It's funny with expository preaching. Sometimes you preach a whole chapter. Sometimes in Genesis, we'd preach two or three chapters. And sometimes you preach one word. <laughs> and for these four weeks, we're kind of honing in on one of the four words in verse 42. Although today in particular, fellowship shows itself up later in the passage as well. I'm going to ask three questions and answer them. Number one, what does fellowship involve? Number two, what challenges do we face regarding fellowship? And then number three, what can we do to grow in fellowship? So here we go. What does fellowship involve? I rarely put Greek words. I use Greek words a lot, but I rarely put them up. But today I felt like I almost had to. And the reason why is because the word fellowship is a translation of the Greek term koinonia. And you, if you know anything at all about Greek, you know that there was classical Greek with Aristotle and Plato, the, the Greek that they spoke and wrote. But then at the time of the New Testament, there was what was called koine Greek, the common Greek. It was the trade language that everybody used all Everybody knew Koine Greek, essentially, and I, I think that's why the New Testament, God chose that time for the New Testament to be written in that language. So Koine is common, and the word Koinonia is commonness. It's oneness, it's togetherness, and it's what's translated in Acts 2.42 as fellowship. Fellowship. Now, we're going to see a lot of verses today on the screen. And you will notice that those verses will be highlighted. There will be certain words highlighted in those verses. Let me tell you in advance, every, and this is why I've got that up there, every single word that's highlighted, even though in English it's translated in different ways, is this word right here, koinonia. Every one of them could be translated fellowship. But legitimately, they also can be translated some other things. And I want, I want you to get that concept as we talk about what fellowship involves. There are four things that fellowship involves. The first one is communion or close relationship. So biblically, to be in fellowship with someone means that you're in communion with them, that you're close to them, that you have relationship with them. First Corinthians 1 9, this one happens to be translated as fellowship. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Second Corinthians six fourteen. do not be yoked together with unbelievers for what? Do righteousness and wickedness have in common or what fellowship can light have with darkness? This is a call for Christians not to be in these intimate associations with unbelievers. We're to love them and try to bring them to Christ. But as far as a yoking relationship like marriage, for instance, the idea is it's it's close. It's it, this is why God wants close communion. First John chapter one, we proclaim to you now what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. 
and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You see, the relationship we have with each other, the fellowship we have with each other, is based on a prior relationship with God. We have fellowship with God because of what he did for us through Jesus. And because I have that relationship, I'm in the family, and Liz is in the family, and Margaret is in the family, and so forth. We now have fellowship with each other. Because we have fellowship with God, we have fellowship with each other. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, is he in the light? We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So fellowship indicates close relationship. Now, there are four nuances. These aren't four different definitions that aren't related. These are just, I'm just giving you shades and nuances of what we mean when we talk about fellowship, because it's it's such a it's such a Christian cliche word, <laughs> right? Oh, well, we'll have a little fellowship afterwards, <laughs> right? All right. Secondly, it means participation or sharing. Paul, as he wrote about the Lord's Supper in First Corinthians ten, said, "Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation?" In the blood of Christ. And is not the bread we break a participation in the body of Christ? Again, this is the word fellowship. This is the word koinonia. It could be, it could be translated, is it not a fellowship? In other words, we are participating with Christ as we remember him. Paul said in Philippians 3, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. Speaking of participation, the third nuance builds on it even more. It's sharing a financial contribution. It's, it's generosity. The word fellowship biblically means generosity. There was a great famine in the first century and Paul and his team collected offerings, uh, from the Gentile churches to take back to the church in the, in Jerusalem, mostly Jewish church that, that they were suffering through this famine. And he said in Romans 15, 26, Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution. That's the word fellowship. <laughs> they made a fellowship for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. He said, he talked about that same offering in second Corinthians eight. I testify, speaking of the Macedonians, they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of, and here it is again, the privilege of and sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Second Corinthians nine thirteen, same context. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in fellowshipping with them or sharing with them and everyone else. So fellowship is not just being happy to be around somebody. It's actually seeing them in need and saying, I'm going to help them financially. Now, the fourth definition 
in some ways pulls it all together. If I, if I had to choose one word to define fellowship, it would be this, but it, it just builds on everything we're saying, and that's the word partnership. Philippians 1, 4, Paul writes to the Philippians, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership, your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, of all the New Testament churches, Paul had great relationships. I do, th- I, I, te- I do think that, that Paul's dearest converts were the, those at Philippi. Three times he calls them delir- dearly beloved. Now, what was so special about them? What kind of relationship did Paul have with the Philippians? What did they do to cause him so much joy? Well, verse 5 mentions it, gives us the reason. Why is he, why does he pray with joy? Because of their partnership in the gospel. Because of their partnership in the gospel. Now, of course, in business, a partnership is a type of entity in which uh, partners share with each other the profits and losses of the common business that they've all invested in. But what is, what is partnership biblically? Well, it's a close mutual relationship. It's working together for the same cause. That's what partnership is. And I think that's why partnership is a really good translation of the word koinonia in Philippians chapter one. Now, Think back to the Philippian church. We won't take the time, but if you were to go back to Acts chapter 16, that's when you start learning about this church at Philippi. Paul's on his missionary journey and he comes to Philippi and he meets a lady there. The very first convert on the European soil was Lydia Hardenbrook. I mean, Lydia. Lydia was the very first convert. She dealt in purple, right? And what happened After she was saved, how did she partner in the gospel right from day one, day one of the church? She said in Acts 16, 15, if you consider me to be a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. Hospitality. She offered hospitality right away. Paul was an itinerant. He was traveling. He he and his team needed a place to stay. They had... They presented the gospel. Lydia was saved and she's like, come stay with me. She partnered with them. She helped them in the gospel immediately. Paul was also a tent maker, right? So he he needed help. You know who the second convert probably was, or uh, certainly one of the other early converts were, was the Philippian jailer. They got put in jail. Remember Paul and Silas? At midnight, they're singing, the earthquake happens, they get out of jail, what happens? The jailer says, hey, what do I need to do to be saved? He's about to kill himself. What do I need to do to be saved? He gets saved, he gets baptized, and they then go and wash the stripes off of After beating them, they minister to them and pray. This is, this is the Philippian church. <laughs> you got Lydia Hardenbrook over here, you got the jailer over here. And they start partnering with Paul. But then, as a tent maker, Paul worked to support himself. For the most part, he didn't raise missionary support like missionaries 
do today. However, there were times and instances that churches supported him financially. And guess who his number one support church was? It was the church at Philippi. If we turn to chapter 4 of Philippians, Philippians is really like a, it's like a big thank you letter. You know, the Philippians had heard that Epaphroditus, uh, who was, they were sending to give money to Paul, that he had gotten sick on the way, and oh, they got disturbed about it. So Paul writes them this letter back saying, you know, Epaphroditus is okay, and I want to thank you for what you've done for me. And Philippians 4, he's talking about being content, not needing anything, and yet he says, it was good of you to, and here goes our word for today, it was good of you to share. It's good of you to share in my troubles. Well, how did they share in his troubles? Well, we know they, they washed his stripes. We know they gave him hospitality. We would assume they prayed for him. It's not stated explicitly. But specifically, he says, moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was need. Philippians was more, in our terms, a blue-collar town. Thessalonica, Thessalonica was more wealthy. And yet, even when I was there, this church said, we're going to support the gospel. We're going to share financially with Paul. Fellowship was partnership with the missionary. It was coming alongside the missionary and supporting the work financially and in other ways. You know, the same thing happens, of course, with our missionaries. (laughs) You go on the wall outside in, in the lobby there and you'll see 17 or 18 families that we partner with. We, we fellowship with them. We're involved in their ministries. We pray for them. We give a part of our offering. 18% of what comes in on Sunday goes there. And the relationships that get built are so cool. That's why most of the time when we do overseas mission trips, we do them occasionally with other missionaries, but mostly we'll do it With one of our existing missionaries, we want to build on the partnership, build on the relationship. Uh, This week, Phil Gillespie, who is one of our missionaries at Michigan State with Athletes in Action, he happened to be in town for a couple of days, and uh, we had coffee one morning. And it was so cool to hear him talk about, you know, Caleb and Daniel, some of the young staff that had been in the ministry, and now they're on staff, and he's helping develop them, and to hear these things. And... You know, hopefully any missionary sitting there, I would have been thought, oh, this is cool. This is really good. But you know what? It was a lot more special because we have been partnering with the Gillespie's for over 20 years. And we have watched over the 20 years and we have prayed over the 20 years. And some of us have been up there ministering with them over the 20 years. And people have given financially for over 20 years. There's partnership. There's fellowship. There's fellowship. This is what Paul 
This is what's involved with fellowship. It's partnering together. Now, fellowship involves communion, close relationship, participation, sharing, including financially. And if we go back to our passage in Acts 2, we see them doing it with each other. Look at, look at verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Look how they were together. Look how they shared with each other. Look how they were unified. Now, this wasn't forced or structured communism. They, have, they, do, they, they own private property. We'll find that out as we go through Acts a little further. They retain private property. What, like, to be a Christian, now you, you got, okay, you sign over your everything. It, they just chose to do that. They chose to share their resources with each other. And so there was no need. Anybody who had a need, that, okay, oh, so-and-so's got a need. Let's just, let's just do it. Let's just, let's just meet that need. The bottom line of fellowship is oneness. It's commonality. It's being together in one purpose for the same thing. This is one of the things I love about sports and sports teams in particular. If you've been on a sports team Usually there's a, there's a camaraderie that's involved with it. It's not just love for the game or love for competition, but part of what you're doing is you all work together. You all endure the hard practices together. You all endure the trips together. You, you have the downs of the losses together and the, the ups of the wins together. And, and there's a, a partnership that develops. I, in, in high school, I played soccer and, my junior year, we were bad. We were in a conference of, uh, I can't remember if it was seven or eight teams. All I know is we tied for sixth in the regular season. We were bad. And somehow in the tournament, though, the, the championship, the season-ending championship tournament, in that first game, we upset the top seed. And then we won the second day. And then we won the championship together. And it was just, it was just an amazing sense of, camaraderie and partnership because we're we're all doing it together and I, I i've used this image years ago i haven't used it in a long time think about two kind of buses okay a tour bus and a team bus what's a tour bus a tour bus people get on it they pay their money and they, they take them somewhere and they see things and it's all about what's, you know, I mean, the people around them just happen to be going to the same place, right? And you may or may not know any of the others or like any of the others or talk to any others, but it's all kind of about what it's going to do for you. But a team bus is you're all committed to the same thing. And you're working together for the same thing. And you're getting on the team bus. Because this is what the team does. And this is where the team is going. And I think that's what Paul is saying about fellowship. 
to the Philippians. I think this is what Luke is saying to us about what the early church was devoted to. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to partnership, partnership in the gospel. God had saved them. So, wow, let's be together. Let's meet each other's needs. Let's work together. Let's evangelize together. Let's pray together. Let's fellowship. And we see it happening so many ways. So, for instance, just a a few weeks ago, we had a work day here. And a lot of physical work was accomplished. And the campus looks a lot better than it did before. But there's there's a partnership that develops and a fellowship when people come out and work together for the same thing. People were doing different things. But it was all ultimately towards one. It happens when meals get delivered. We see it at Harvest all the time. Uh, In the community group we're in, there were, just a few weeks ago, there were three pregnant ladies. Now there's only one pregnant lady because two of them have had their babies. Uh, Melissa Cavanaugh uh, had her baby and Amanda Masick had her baby. And it was cool to watch. Well, Colt and Andrea are there. They're part of our our group. It was just cool to watch. The group just rally around. Meals? Okay, here we go. We don't have to call the meal train. We, The group became the meal train, right? Boom, 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 boom. It happened for the Kavanaugh's. Here comes Amanda uh, last week or a week and a half ago, whatever. She has her baby. Boom, boom, boom. Here go the meals. It's not just in community groups. Paula Grandy, of course, as you probably know, broke her ankle. What happens? Danny Webster runs over there and keeps the kids while they're going to the ER. The Bible study they're involved with did some meals and then harvesters did like seven meals. So it happens with things like that. The second question I want to ask is, so what challenges do we face regarding fellowship? You you see biblically what fellowship is. But there are some very, very real challenges that we face, and let me give them to you. They're on your outline there. Lack of understanding what fellowship really is. And I've addressed that in the sermon. <laughs> so hopefully now that you've heard the, the first few minutes of the sermon, that challenge will be overcome. Number two, inherent self-centeredness. The most natural human response for us to anything is, how does this affect me? How do I like it? How does it build me up? Does this drain me or give me energy? And there's a reason for that. It's because when we were born, though we were created in the image of God, sin marred it and we were sinners. And sinners are interested in one thing, themselves, and what pleases them rather than what pleases God and others. We are inherently self-centered. We always by nature, think of situations, whether it's church or group or marriage or friendship or neighborhood or whatever it is, we always think of it in terms of what do I like about it? How is it helping me? Dennis Johnson makes this observation about biblical fellowship. He says it is deep, virile, and costly. Too often today, it's cheap and superficial. The higher we value our personal privacy and freedom from commitments, the shallower our grasp of fellowship will be. 
reduced to moments of idle chit-chat over steaming coffee before or after a worship service. Did, did somebody ask where the steaming coffee was? <laughs> the third challenge that we face is Western individualism. Western individualism. Most people, like us, who live in Western developed countries are distinct psychologically from everybody else in the world. And we don't realize that because this is the culture that we've grown up in. We tend to be more individualistic and we tend to think of ourselves as independent from other people, whereas most of the world, especially in the Eastern world, they thought of them, thought of themselves and think of themselves connected. Community based, relationship based. And yet, God does not design the church to grow just as a bunch of individuals. God wants us to grow together. If you look at Ephesians chapter 4, which we're not going to turn there now, but you, you see about how God gave the different gifts. And he did it all so that the church would would unite and grow together in into Christ. If you were to ask the average Christian, hey, what does a person need to do for spiritual growth? Right away, the answers are probably going to be very individual things, prayer, Bible study, so forth. And those are those are good and those are important. Those are valuable. But the Bible pictures growth happening in community. And our Western individualism, we, we, we don't think in those terms usually. This word has already been mentioned by Ryan earlier in the overused words, and that's the word social distancing. Fellowship is harder in the last year, right? With a pandemic, it's harder for there to be biblical fellowship during a pandemic. But it's not impossible. It's not impossible. I, I see it happening. I, I see harvesters doing it. I see groups meeting. Some of those groups are comfortable and they're meeting in person. And some of them are meeting virtually. I see people eating meals together. And some of them are going in the restaurant together. And some of them are ordering and eating outside. But social distancing, which we've been a part of because we're in this culture has become a huge challenge to fellowship because fellowship requires closeness and requires being together one more is technology studies show that spending too much time on social media makes people more unhappy. These aren't Christian studies. These are secular studies that show this. For example, in a study published in the American Journal of, I hope I say it right, epidemiology. Is that right, nurse? Epidemiology? I've never read that journal. <laughs> Researchers showed that the more people use Facebook 
the less healthier they are and the less satisfied they are with their lives. They studied over uh, 5,200 adults for a couple years on their mental health and their social health. And they found that the use of Facebook was tightly linked to compromised social, physical, and psychological health. Another study uh, done in 2017, well, actually, there were two studies done about that time in 2017 that cast a negative light on the social media use of teenagers and young adults. One was of like 1,800 adults, uh, Americans, and it said that social media increased feelings of isolation. The other one was done in Britain, about 1,500 young adults found that the website, image-based sites in particular, exacerbated feelings of anxiety and inadequacy. Now, why would online activity be so damaging to health and social well-being? Obviously, technology can be a very good thing, and it can be used for very good things. But one, according to one researcher, the bottom line is this, replacing in or replacing in-person interactions with online contact can be a threat to your mental health. And this researcher said, what people really need is real friendships and real interactions. And long before the pandemic, our society has moved more and more and more to that, that everybody's more concerned, not everybody, but many people are more concerned about how many likes they get than how many deep personal face-to-face interactions happen in their lives. It's a challenge. All these things challenge us. So what can we do? Let's wrap it up. Before I answer that question, I do want to note this when we're going to talk here about fellowship. It's all a response to God's grace. When we're going to answer what can we do, the first thing we do is we remember that God has brought us into his fellowship. (laughs) And, and so we're just responding to his grace. And let me give you just a few ideas. The first one is mindset. How many of you knew Jeff Kazile when he was here? He's in heaven now. How many of you knew him? All right. Jeff was famous for these. He would say certain phrases and, you know, we called them Jeffisms often. I mean, uh, he would say a lot of things, but some things he said really, really stuck. And one of the things he said over and over again was, let's focus on what unites us rather than what divides us. You ever hear him say that? Let's focus on what unites us rather than what divides us. Our culture in America is very divided, right? It's... It's more divided than I ever remember it being in my life. It's like everything divides us. Race, politics, approach towards the pandemic. I mean, you name it, and it divides us. And I think Satan is behind a lot of this because Satan wants to divide people and have people attack each other But that's our culture. That's the culture we live in. So 
as a Christian, as a church, we have to develop a different mindset. Our mindset has to be, I am not going to focus on what divides me from Tim Harrell. I'm not going to focus on what divides me from Andrea. I'm going to focus on what unites me. This is a mindset. This is a complete mindset. I may have big disagreements with Tim on a lot of things. But you know what? There's more that unite us than divides us. The important things about Christ unite us. That's why Paul said maintain the unity of the spirit. The unity of the spirit's there. So all of this cultural division that's out there has affected the church. And I think Satan is somewhere laughing about it. So we have to have this mindset that we are going to minister to others. We are going to love others. We are going to accept others. We are going to fellowship with others. That's the first mindset. The second mindset is an other's first mindset. (laughs) It's like if we want to have true fellowship, our mindset has to be others first. When he was inaugurated as the 35th president of the United States, John F. Kennedy uttered those famous words, right? And now I ask you, fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. And I think we would say, I, th- I think I think God would say, D- don't ask what your church can do for you. If you're asking what your church can do for you, you're going to be unhappy and you're going to either sit there unhappy or you're going to go to another church and eventually you're going to ask the same question. Oh, this church isn't doing this for me. And then you go to the next church. Don't ask in your marriage, what, what can she do for me or he do for me? Or in, in your small group, well, what can my group do for me? The mindset is, what can I do for them? What can I do to build community? What can I do to build fellowship? What can I do to build oneness? This is a totally different mindset. But it's, it's the key mindset. Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What, what mind? Though he was God, he was living in the form of God. He didn't consider his existing in a manner equal with God as something to be grasped after. But instead, what did he do? He humbled himself and became obedient to death. He did all of this for others. It's a mindset. In short, your mindset needs to become... I'm getting off of the tour bus, and I'm getting on the team bus. All four, of the, these are four, but they're, they're related. Generosity. Kent Hughes says, fellowship comes through giving. True fellowship costs. So many people never know the joys of Christian fellowship because they've never learned to give themselves away. They visit a church or a small group with an eye only towards their own needs. And they go away saying, there's no fellowship there. 
The truth is we'll have fellowship only when we make it a practice to reach out to others and give something of ourselves, generosity, including financial generosity, prayer together. Few things prove that we hold things in common more than praying together. Few things build that sense of oneness and commonness than praying together. We encourage you to do that in your groups. We're going to do it as a church body. Starting next Sunday, our schedule's changing a little bit. We've got a 30-minute window so that we can, you guys can stay and pray, and people coming at the second hour can come early and pray. Jim's going to give you details in a few minutes in the announcements, but I had another cool, uh, I had a lunch this week with Mark Evans, the pastor of Jonahville. We have a, a network of churches in this area. You know, we're, we're all different denominations. We're at Harvest or non-denominational. But, you know, there's different ones, right? Crossway and Jonahville, Independence Hill Baptist, Stonebridge, although Stonebridge is about to actually launch a new network further south. Uh, just, just several churches. There's 12 or 13. And every now and then the pastors will get together and we'll talk, we'll pray. And a, a couple weeks ago, Gordon from Crossway and Mark Evans. So Crossway's mostly white like us. Uh, Jonahville is probably almost 100% black. The three of us were talking about what was going to happen over the next few months in the network. And we were praying together. And while we were praying together, I just had this image come to my mind. And, you know, I said to him, I said, I, I don't know if this is something that God put there, but I just want to put it out for you. Hey, guys, you know, the National Day of Prayer is coming up the first Thursday in May. And I just had this image because we, we talked we talked some about race and the divisions that, that are going on in the culture. And, and God, you guys know, of course, Everybody's on, very tense right now in our culture about it. I mean, there's some court, there's some verdicts about to happen this week that are going to, who knows what's going to happen. Well, anyway, I, I had this image of Jonahville and Harvest coming together on the National Day of Prayer outside and just praying. So anyway, we, I said, let's pray about it, let's think about it. We did, and then actually Mark and I had lunch this week and and decided at least Jonahville and Harvest are going to be a part of it on that Thursday night. And I hope you will. I think Crossway and then maybe some others. We're, we're not sure who else will, will come. But praying together, our fellowship is with other churches as well, other believers, not just those in our church. And then groups. Uh, we fellowship in one sense with everybody in this church. But obviously... If you get involved in a group and committed to a group of people, whether it's a men's group or women's group or a community group, you get involved with them, you, you have a chance, an opportunity to really deepen that fellowship and work together. And, and we encourage you. There's, there's a list. Um, this, this list is, where is this list, Nick? It's, it's on this back table right here. There's a list, 12 or 13 harvest groups, something happening almost every night. Well, here we go. When God builds his church, as you see on that wall over there, it is devoted to fellowship. It is devoted to fellowship. Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. 
This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.